Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit, I talked to Natalie Dumont. Whether she is helping you go after the life and dreams you were always meant to be living or showing organizations and leaders that there's a different way to lead, work, and connect with each other, Natalie brings enthusiasm, boldness, and kindness with her every single time. As a professional certified leadership coach, facilitator, and contributor to Brene Brown's latest best-selling book, Dare to Lead, Natalie focuses on leadership and female empowerment coaching, along with workplace culture development, working in partnership with leaders and teams, helping build their capacity for courage, candor, connection, accountability, vulnerability, and trust in the workplace. In today's episode, Natalie and I are going to be talking about what are the best ways to give feedback? I know some of you might be thinking about maybe upcoming performance reviews. This is a can't miss episode. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to be sitting down with Natalie Dumont today. Natalie, for those that you have a tremendous introduction, by the way, I'm sure they just caught your bumper. But for those that maybe are still new, a little bit new to you, I want to hear from you. Tell us what you do. Tell us why you're here. What do you do? I know why you're here, but what do you do? Oh, thank you so much. Okay. So what do I do? Simply put, I'm a, I'm a leadership coach and I work with a lot of female leaders in particular. And I just try to help guide them into the lives and careers that they always wanted. So I speak on that. I coach on that and I facilitate around those areas. So that's basically what I do. Oh my gosh. Which, what, what's your favorite part about your job? Watching people realize how powerful and magnificent they really are. Like when you see somebody get that, you're just like, there it is. That is the best feeling in the entire world. I'm addicted to it. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know. I just have the best job. I I feel like I'm getting away with something because it feels so good. (laughs) No, that's, I mean, I do feel like that's the joy of coaching, right? Like is being able to, yeah, you get to see those transformative moments where people are like, holy cow, I can do that. (laughs) So I love that. And I have to like facilitating a large group of people and teaching and the energy that you get from that is also incredibly powerful. So I say it's a toss up between those two. Hey, girl. And that's why you're here, everyone. I actually um, was on a panel with Natalie and I got to hear all of her great advice all around leadership. And so we're so excited to be able to share with you some of the nuggets that come from Natalie. But before we get into it, because I love Brene Brown, and I'm sure some of the people that listen to the podcast may have also heard of Brene Brown. That's Brene with a B. But you actually contributed to her book, Dare to Lead, which is the, here's the plug for Brene's leadership book. You contributed. How in the heck did you get that? Because I love her and I read that book. I love that book. That's great. Tell me more. Yeah. So thanks. I, it, I still pinch myself over this one. How it came to be was I was coming off of a mat leave uh, back in 2017. And for anyone that's been on parental leave, you know, there's kind of this uneasiness with going back into the workforce. like and you know, what's it going to be like? What am I going to do? So I wanted to just, you know, change up the mommy mode and get back into work mode. So I started researching, you know, and just looking online. And then one of the things came into my thought process, what is Brene up to? Because I'm also a big fan of Brene. I have been for years and read a lot of her books. I started with Daring Greatly. And um, then I went on her website and at the very top corner, there was this thing um, called Brave Leaders Inc. And I was like, what is that? So I clicked on that. And it was an online course to help bring bravery into leadership. And because I've always been fascinated by good leadership, 
great leadership, ugly leadership. Um, I was like, what is this? So I clicked on it and went through the course and I couldn't like get through the material fast enough. It was like, it was all of her research plus everything that's fantastic about Brene and her ability to storytell all woven into this course. And I fell in love with it. So I, I did the course, got my little certificate to put in LinkedIn and then went on my way and went back into work. Well, about a month after I started, uh, the team from Brene's organization contacted me to do uh, just to, to, to customer service. What did I think of the course? And I was like, these guys are amazing. They're so friendly. And so I got on a call with this lovely uh, individual named Lauren, and we started talking about what I found with this course, what I liked, what I would have wanted to see more of. But what I didn't know at the time is they were doing research to find out how they could bring brave leaders or dare, uh, dare to lead to the main audience. I was one of their testers. I just didn't know I was being tested. So I did that, met with them, talked to them over the phone, just like this and told them what I liked. And that was it. And then the next year, I think it was around June of 2018, I get a call from her team again. And they said, Hey, Brene is writing a new book on leadership. She is curious if people that took brave leaders put it into action in their job. So my background was in human resources. And I was like, absolutely, I've done this. And I said, here's a bunch of the areas that I did. And one of the areas was on feedback and how to build feedback culture. And I took what I learned in that course, and I applied it and built a program around performance management and feedback. And she ended up liking it and decided to take my work and put it in her book. And then it launched on October of 2018. And that's it. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations, Natalie. That is a huge accomplishment. And I mean, of course, just to like be in the, pre I, maybe it's because I'm so far removed from Renee that I absolutely am like to be in her presence, to be in her book is such a fantastic, I mean, achievement. That is wonderful. Congratulations. Yes, I want to pick. She's just as magical. Well, she's just amazing. She, she is really down to earth and um, she's, she's a lovely human. So she deserves all the goodness that comes her way for sure. Yeah. And you, so you, yeah, you have that experience. You've been in HR, you said over 15 years, you've over 15 years of HR experience. And one of the things I just want to ask you, I know this wasn't our planned thing, but what does it truly mean to be a brave leader? Like, I know that we didn't necessarily like, cause when we think about brave leaders, I know before this, we were talking about maybe some not great leaders. So I guess maybe, maybe we could talk about what, if you could have coached one person that maybe is not a great leader, like what advice would you have or what, what would you do with them? I know that's on the spot, like, or how could you be brave? Maybe that's the better question. How could I be more brave in leadership? Well, one of the things that's, you know, well, that we see happen over and you probably see this in your work is the ability to lean into vulnerability, the ability to show up authentically, the ability to be more curious um, about the other person's perspective, right? So it's this ability, you know, to also be aware of uh, and do empathy well. And those are all vulnerable things, right? So vulnerability is this big trait or that we need more leaders to start to lean into. And it can feel really uncomfortable. And a lot of people try to shy away from it or they try to like pretend that they're not vulnerable. They just don't know how to do it well. But here's the thing about vulnerability. We either do it consciously or we do it unconsciously. So, and when you do it unconsciously, you get a lot of the bad things that come out, um, like passive aggressive, um, you know, um, um, armoring up, hiding, numbing out all those things. But what you want to do is be conscious and be like, okay, I know this is going to be a vulnerable moment. I know this is going to be tough, but I can do it. I can do hard things. I can lean in and be myself throughout all of it. 
So for me, it's vulnerability. And like when I'm working with leaders now, there's two things. It's self-awareness and self-compassion are the two biggest things that we need our leaders to be having because there's no more room for leaders to be going, I didn't know, or I was unaware. That's, that's not an okay excuse anymore. Your job is to become aware that self-awareness piece and then the self-compassion. So when leaders have self-compassion for themselves, that means they give themselves the grace to try something, make a mistake, own it and move forward. If they can do that with themselves, then they can extend that, which is the empathy piece to everybody else. So anyway, long-winded, without vulnerability, which ties heavily to self-awareness and self-compassion. Yeah. Well, and it's, I wonder what, if I go back to my twenties, when I remember first entering the workforce, working for a really big company that's based here in the U S and it was a dream job, right? Because it was such a, a recognized company, but I had always been a geek about leadership because I'm that nerd that was doing it since I was in high school and in the <laughs> leadership camps. But I remember honestly going in, going in and because you learn so much about leadership, even at a young age, especially if you're nerding out, reading all those self-help books. And then I remember getting into work and being like, wait, was leadership a myth? I'm sorry. Is that something that like, Prince, like it, it was someone that was going to come in and like Prince Charming on a horse? Like, was that a total lie? And I think that's probably because of it is like people armor up. They go, they go into work with their armor on and they don't understand that they're in the business of serving people. <laughs> yeah. They're there to connect to other human beings and show them what's possible within themselves. Right. And if you come from that space, you come from something completely different, but like a lot of leaders are coming in sometimes they're just lacking that self-awareness. And when you get that, you get the armored behavior, you get the ego driven behavior and you drive more disconnection than connection. Yeah. What, what inspired you? So now we can shift into feedback. What, it, what inspired you to kind of create your own feedback or performance, kind of a performance improvement, not performance improvement, but like feedback plan or program. Yeah. Performance management was when I, so the, right before I went into the coaching world and started my own practice, I was working at a tech company for about eight years. And when I started there back in 2011, the first thing they ever said was, we need a performance management program. Can you build one? And I was like, absolutely. So I did what a lot of good HR people would do. I ran off and I got myself a form and a star rating system and a bunch of competencies. And then I just jammed it into the organization. I was like, (laughs) and they were all like, no, no, like, okay, we said we wanted that, but we don't like it and we're not going to do it. And I'm like, but what? So I'm like, all right, fine. I will, I will uh, go and get a a tool, not just, so it just won't be in a doc. Now I'll go get a tool to automate it because that'll make it more efficient. And then that'll work. So I did that, trained everybody else, jammed it in the organization and still, I was policing the crap out of it, begging everybody to do it and, you know, making sure leaders were pushing it on their employees to do it and all that stuff. And I was like, and so I did this for a couple of years, right? Just kept tweaking every time it was performance management time, tweak the form, tweak the competencies, tweak the system. And I was like, I hate this. Like everybody hates <laughs> it. I hate it. And I'm out here, raw, raw performance management. And I was just like, I hate it. So I remember sitting in a room with one of the co-founders of the company and I was like, why do we even do performance management? Like, what is the point of it? Everybody just hates it and avoids it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That would always be the last thing. I can tell you that you get all of the emails when I was at the big company because they're pretty sophisticated, right? So you get the email reminders, just a reminder to put in your goals for the year and another reminder to do your mid-level ones. And then at the end of the day, I'm, you know, it's like you're, yes, you hate them because you're just writing the stuff that someone wants to hear. It's not, you're just checking a box. It felt like going back to school. <laughs> so I'm like, so I'm like, but then you, as an HR professional, you always hear a bit like, I want to know what people think of my work. I want to know, am I doing okay? So I'm getting these like, you know, dueling, you know, ideologies of we hate doing it and then no, but we want it. And I'm like, okay, so what's going on? So I just remember sitting there with the co-founder and I was like, how can we make this so it's actually valuable to everybody involved? Because as an employee, they want to grow. They want to develop, they want to grow and they want to expand their skill sets. Okay, got it. But they also want to have a connection and they're kind of scared to see what everyone thinks, right? So there's that that we got to deal with. And then on the other hand, the, the company as an organization, they need to know if they have the right players on the, on the bus, right? Do we have people performing at the levels that we need in order to produce the services and products that we need? So how do you bring this all together? So we just stripped it all down. And I said, look, the whole reason for performance management is to make sure that the employee grows. And that if you have a growing employee and that's doing, you know, then you get the right products and services, right? It just kind of feeds into it. So what we did is we got rid of absolutely everything, every system, every competency and all the star rating numerics, like all that. And we just asked like two questions, what makes me successful and what is holding back? It was that bare bones. And I put it in a Google doc and I said, here, employee, you are now in charge of your performance management. I'm not as the HR person and neither is your leader. You are. So now you go out and get five pieces of feedback from your peers and all the people you work with. And then when you come to sit at the performance management time, you're going to drive the conversation and your leader is going to now be the coach. I love that. That is drastic by most accounts. I'm sure for a lot of, someone might be listening. They're like, what? You got rid of a form? It's two questions. (laughs) You kidding me? That is simplified it and drilled it down to what actually matters, right? So it, it was through that and just launching it and, and getting it. And, you know, some people have modified it to start, stop, continue, whatever you want to do, but just get it down to simplifying. What do you think? And then having the bravery, and this is where the work from Brene's research came in, is then I had to turn around and train the organization on how to be vulnerable, one, to ask for feedback, and two, how to be vulnerable and brave enough to give it and how to sit in it. So then that was the next big push with the organization is how do you train people and get them to actually sit in feedback, both delivering it and receiving it. So that's kind of how we, how we changed it. And that took some time as well, right? So yeah, that would be a big part because there are still the people that are, I'm sure if they, like, I really want to tell you that you're actually a passive aggressive communicator, but I'm just going to say you're fine. <laughs> you know, I mean, because if they have, uh, did you, what did you see? Like, what was it like initially when people were doing that? Was there a little timidness? Like, For you sure know, you got to do this. Like, how did you overcome that? Yeah. And like, I think it's, you got to think about like when you go to the gym, right? If I went to the gym today and I was like, I am fit after one time, you'd, you'd laugh at me. It's the same with feedback, right? You need to practice it over and over and over again to actually get better at it. And, and it's like most things, right? So the first time we went and launched it, there were tears. People cried because real feelings, real thoughts, opinions came out. Now you actually know what the other person beside you really thinks, right? And so there was lots of training on how to give feedback. Absolutely, right? Like there, that's a big piece. But the other piece that was eye-opening is how to receive it. 
you know, you are in control of how you receive feedback, you know, just because it is said doesn't mean necessarily mean that you have to fully, you know, do what it says, you can take it, you can take a look at it and see, does something need to shift? Okay, that's their opinion. I understand that, like, you get to be in control of it. And and I think that was one of the bigger shifts is just because you um, are given feedback, what do you do with that? doesn't mean you always have to take it right in. So receiving feedback was just as difficult to train as, or challenging to to train as, as giving it. Well, and in my experience, I really, if I even go back to earlier, you know, I would say that (laughs) clearly I didn't do a great job in the beginning of my career at receiving feedback because I had never, what I was, you know, I was used to really just like, like making the mark overachieving. So when you get feedback that counters that it can be just debilitating. But I'm curious, like, why do you think that we, I feel like we can talk, we know, you know, different ways that we can give feedback. We could probably rattle off them, but yet why is it that most trainings or even what we know is so focused on just like, this is how you give feedback and you have to give feedback, but it's never focuses on, okay, this is how you can look at feedback. This is how you can receive it. Why do you think that we don't have that emphasis? No. I think a lot of us just get really caught up in how it's said and we're so worried about how it's going to be delivered that, that we've spent a lot of time there. And you do have to focus like on that part of it. But the other side of it, like if we had a world of organizations that had employees that knew how to receive feedback well, do you think we'd have a world of people that were so anxious to give feedback? No. So it's just as important. I think it's just missed, right? Um, I think we need to do some heavy lifting or coaching around people to be okay with other people's, you know, opinions. It's, it's okay. And you cannot control what other people think of you all the time. What you can control is how you take it in, right? How you process it. And sometimes it's hard. Like I still sometimes will get a feed piece of feedback and I'm like, Ooh, but now I'm changing the process of like, okay, what can I learn from this? Do I want to modify something in my workshops? Do I want to change the way that I showed up that way or my speaking meeting, whatever it is, I get to now be in control of, of what I do with that. So it was a changing, you know, of the way I thought about feedback. Anyway, I, I don't know why we're not giving it enough attention, but I definitely know that we need to talk more about receiving feedback and that we don't have to be as scared about it as, as we think. Well, I, I think part of it of why people don't put the emphasis on, you know, if I'm going to go into a big class about feedback and why they don't necessarily focus on how to receive it, I think part of it is because we still are in denial that emotions exist in the workplace. <laughs> like you can't, of course, like it's going to, you know, especially if someone's really passionate about their work, you know, you, yeah. they're going to be emotional and that's totally okay. But you have to also teach them how to receive it in a way that's productive. That's not, you know... Yeah doesn't leave everyone feeling terrible that feedback was given because then people will be so scarred to not want to give it again. But I think even talking about, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening. I know that like, whether they're leadership facilitators or coaches themselves, like how you and I are. Yeah. When you're kind of in a public space, like I know when I give webinars or when I teach classes, there are feedback forms that come out and sometimes, you know, like you get these great, like, Oh, Jen was lovely. And then it's like, and this is why I think Jen sucks. (laughs) <laughs> like and that those are hard and I think it's own it's talking about it, starting the conversation it's okay that not everyone loves you or that <laughs> it's okay uh, you know but just keep trying you know be a good person and and do do good work and see what happens and like 
I think a lot of the time, you know, I was doing, a, I was hosting a live on LinkedIn and I was interviewing Vanessa McDonald, who is the, um, uh, the creator of the brave journal, which is an awesome journal to help you be more brave in your life. And we were talking about this like feedback loop and, and how we are so afraid to just get out there and try something out of fear of feedback. But I found in being in business for myself, if I go out there and just put, you know, what's good enough out there, the feedback loop makes me stronger. Right. And I go faster. Right. So when I launched my, 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 um, uh, business and I want to put out a website, I had to, I was working away on it, you know, fiddling with like every little piece, color, this text, copy, you know, all that kind of stuff. And finally, I just remember after two months of working night after night on, I was like, that's it. And I submitted it to the, the world. And I went out and I said, Hey, everyone, if you want to see what I'm up to, you know, check out my new website, let me know what you think. Well, there was good feedback, but there was also, hey, Nat, there was a misspelling on this page, or actually it was doubled. And I went a lot faster because people gave me the feedback. I could have spent another couple more months reading every line again by myself. So, you know, I was telling this to Vanessa, and anyway, she said, life is, life is about living in the iteration. And I love that. It was just like, we're constantly iterating, but we also have to be open to the feedback that comes through with that iteration. And a lot of us are trying to wait till we're perfect. And not okay with just good enough and then moving from that. So anyway, feedback can actually really help you move faster if you're open to it. However, so many of us are just like, I'm just going to hide until I think I'm perfect enough. And then they wait so long. You, you wait and the opportunity is gone or you, you know, become more anxious. I know I just did a webinar on agile leadership. And when we think about being agile, that's one of the most important things of an agile mindset is your adaptability to change and that you have to have feedback and that, um, and someone actually said this last week in a class, you know, good is better than perfect and that we have to get better at looking at, Hey, is it good? You know, we're not ever going to be perfect. I don't know why we ever, I, myself too, as the recovering perfectionist, right. As I'm sure many of the people that are listening to a leadership class are probably a little bit more type a, but it's getting people to recognize that good is better than perfect. So if I, so what advice would you give or how, what do you think is the best way to get feedback? Like what, what advice would you share with our listeners on how to actually give and have a good feedback conversation? We just ask, what did you think? You know, what could I do to serve you better? If you're a leader, what did you need more of? What do you need less of? Um, what would help, you know, what would help you just be naturally curious, um, and know that whatever they say is okay. Um, that, that for me, it's just ask. So as a coach and a facilitator, every time I'm done a workshop, I put out a, a, a Google survey and I, and I ask my participants, what do you think? It's a quick one. You know, what'd you learn? What were you hoping more for? So for me, it's just ask. Do you have an opinion on this? The, I know a lot of people listening might've been, um, trained or given the advice to follow the sandwich method. I'm not really a huge fan of it just because of, it, it is, it does seem so disingenuous to me. And I know that's not the intent, but it's just, it seems so forced, right? Like I got to give you the positive for the bun. Then I'll give you like the meat of what you actually need. And then I'm going to wrap it up in a positive note. Like it just seems so strange to me. And then if, if you're not maybe as fluid in your transitions, then it's going to even seem more awkward. <laughs> yeah. Mechanical. Yeah. It's <laughs> slow and everyone can kind of see through it. So yeah, if you're using the sandwich method for feedback, I would highly recommend stopping. Um, that doesn't feel sincere. Right. And so people are looking, 
here's the main thing what people are looking for with feedback. And this comes from Kim Scott's radical candor and it's brilliant is they're looking to know that you are clear and kind, that you actually care about them. So show them that you care about their well-being, their growth, their development, right? Show them that you care. Um, so that's the main, like that's the overarching, that's what it, you, the energy you should be bringing into a feedback session. But if you're looking for kind of like some formula to put through the one that I train on is you do situation, behavior, impact, situation, behavior, impact. So you explain the situation of what you noticed, the behavior that you witnessed, and then the impact that it had on you or potentially the team. I always recommend speak in the I statements. It's a lot harder when you're like, we all think, we all believe, because people get really armored with that. Especially I if it's like someone's me. like stomping you down. Everyone's right. like, what? <laughs> Who? And then then change the conversation because the person automatically goes to, well, who's saying all these things? And then they start thinking about who's been talking about me. So really try to keep it about the I statement. So you want to explain the situation and the behavior, the impact. So if if you know, say I was late for meetings every um, every Monday morning meeting we had, we met at nine and I kept coming into the meeting really late and I was disruptive when I came in and all this other stuff. You could maybe say something like, Hey, Nat, do you have a couple minutes? I'd like to talk to you. Hopefully I say yes. And you would say, Hey, you know, this Monday morning meeting that starts at nine o'clock situation, right? The behavior is you've been, um, a bit late recently and at times kind of disruptive when you're coming in and the impact of the team is it's disrupting everybody and also making us late for our next meeting and then this is what you do you end it with a question so situation behavior impact and then you end it with a question like the assumption that i'm making up is this is no longer a priority for you is that true right you just end it you know you could say it like that or help me understand what's going on Right. Maybe uh, I can't get my kids to school on time. Maybe that time doesn't work for me. Maybe I don't get value from it. But whatever my answer is, because you end it with a question, now we get to go down that path. So I might say, yeah, it's this doesn't this mean doesn't add value to me anymore. And then you can go, okay, tell me more about that. Or I could say, yeah, my kids, it just doesn't work. My kids back to school now and it's just crazy and getting here for nine o'clock. It's really hard. Like, I think I need another option. Okay, let's talk about that. So when you end it with curiosity, it opens up the space for the dialogue and lets people kind of come in with it. It's almost like your fourth step. It's situation, behavior, outcome, curiosity, questioning. And curiosity, like that comes to everyone there that might be making and living in the assumption. It is practicing curiosity. You got to set aside and say, maybe there's something you're not seeing. You got to leave judgment away from it and allow that other person a fair opportunity to address your concerns. Yeah. If you come in with a feedback session with positive intent, rather than the intent to like prove that they did something wrong or that they're a bad person, what you do is you come in with positive intent, like Natalie's doing the best she can. And I'm, I want to get more curious about this behavior that she's doing. Right. So when you come at it from that angle, people can feel that energy. Right. Um, so curiosity and positive intent at the end of situation behavior impact is very powerful. And it really does open up the space. Where do you think people get it wrong? I mean, I'm sure you and I can probably go on this. Like, where do people get feedback wrong? Because there is bad feedback happening. It's probably happening every 10 seconds. I don't know, but there's bad feedback happening. Where do people, where do people get it wrong? Well, I, just, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, like the one thing I'll always think of is my example of when I was told to, because again, none of these I felt were related, directly related to the outcome of what I was producing for a business. 
but they were what the perception that was wanting that people wanted certain executives to see. So I got feedback like you need to be more vanilla. You need to be more of a yes man. You can't laugh when you're outside of the cube. You need to make sure that your back is up straight. I'm not even lying. I've, I, that's Those are all legitimate feedback things that I've gotten. And in my head, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, how is this? What? Like my business numbers are what? But I'm laughing too much. And, you know, I feel like if they would have actually sat down and said, Jen, why do you laugh so much? Well, I would have said, you know, we operate really fast. People are really stressed out all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to try and keep people calm. So then we don't make mistakes. Right. And one of the ways that we can do that is through laughter. Like, but I, I felt like I didn't have necessarily a leader that even tried to understand why I tried to do that. And so my result of that feedback coming at me was to just shut down. And wow. I just sat at my desk and I, you know, I put my headphones on and just like focused on what I needed to do. And then all of a sudden, fast forward two days later, and they're like, well, Jen, we really do need you to start talking to people again. I'm like, what do you want? I don't, I don't know what you want. And they're like, well, you're too much of a presence to like not, you know, not talk to anyone. And it was so frustrating to me because it felt like they were just telling me all these things to show up as, but they didn't necessarily include like why of under even seeking, there's no curiosity. Like, I wonder why you do that. Yeah. Because they're all little bananas sometimes. (laughs) Like when you come in thinking your perspective is the perspective, you miss the ability to connect with the other person. So yes, you might have been perceiving about you know your behavior in some way, but not getting curious about why you are behaving in that manner, you're missing the mark to connect to you and then co-create what's possible, right? And, and I think that's what a lot, because we get so worked up with, okay, I got to say this, I got to get it right, I got to deliver it a certain way, I'm just going to like lob it over there and then hope they get it. And it's like, no, you, you can go over there with some positive intent and, 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 and some curiosity and find out what's going on and see if you can co-create a solution together that works for both parties. That's where people are, are I think, missing the mark. We get stuck in our own head of, of, of how to say it right. And I got to make sure this lands and no, just go over and ask some really good questions. But I think they don't even, I don't know if people think about it. I love your approach of the, you know, first, what's the situation? Because telling me, if I go back to even my example, telling me that I laugh too much and I need to stand up straight, if I'm like walking and making sure, you know, I'm fully in my blazer, my power suit, I need to understand how that connects to what, how that either takes away, you know, that when you talk about the situation behavior outcome, like I need to understand the outcome, like what is the cause and too much. I think people give the feedback. They, they do, they do step one and then they don't do the rest of the things that you're saying. Right. They do. Here's the situation. I don't want you to do that anymore. Well, well, why, why don't you want me to do that? Yeah. This is bad. Am I a bad person? I mean, yeah. if your career, oh. I was career motivated. So getting, you know, a big part of my confidence comes, it still does. I wish it didn't, you know, mean as much, but a big piece of my confidence comes from how well I do in my career. So then when you get feedback that is not, doesn't feel great, it can feel pretty debilitating, especially when you don't understand why you need to change. You just understand that you need to stop doing this. Right. So, so, okay. So, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's having a similar experience, like think about this too. So we can't control everybody. So you might be, you know, work around people that are just going to lob that and they're not going to be curious. And, and hopefully we get to train enough people to show them a new way to do feedback. But here's the powerful thing. You are in control of what you do with that. So just because somebody wants you to stop laughing and wear, you know, straighten up and do all this, you know, buttoned up stuff. 
some of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself in that moment, you can get curious. You don't have to wait for them to get curious. What, what is it, what is it saying about them that they're asking this change of you? What is it saying about the culture that they're asking this about that? Do I want to change? Does it serve me to not laugh and, you know, be straight laced? And if the answer is no, and this isn't aligned to me, you get to ask the questions like, does, do I, should I be working here? And, and maybe not. So I think curiosity also is with the person receiving the feedback. You get to ask the powerful questions of like, does this feedback come from a good, sincere place? And does this feedback serve me to help me step into the highest version of myself? And if the answer is no, then you're out of alignment and probably working at the wrong organization. Yes. And I think that's a really valuable point that you just made, Natalie, is that people, again, we, when we think about feedback, we can think about how to receive it, but we don't necessarily think about the be, okay, I can receive it. I, you know, I can have the mindset of looking at this as growth, but we don't necessarily go to the next step, which is, okay, like, what do I want to do with this? Like, do I want to take it on? Do I want to, like, does this make me want to ask different questions? Um, it, should I even be here? I mean, I knew I, I shouldn't have been there based on all that. I was a little trapped in that circumstance because they were, I was in their MBA program, so I couldn't leave without paying for it. And I just didn't have that money, but it was just so hard. And at the end of the day, like I I'm saying all this, but like, even if that boss was listening, I actually really liked working under that boss. And I did know the people that he was kind of like mouthpiecing through, like it wasn't his words, but it, I still wish I could tell him to this day, like, Hey, I loved you as a boss, but like how you did this, probably not your best work. Like Maybe yeah. not the best word choice. Like that's not going to make anyone feel great. You know, you need to be more vanilla, more of a yes man. And then like, stop laughing. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, and I'm a firm believer that if anybody's asking you to take up less space, it, it, you know, like to not be yourself, that is the wrong role. That is the wrong leader. That is just, or it's, it's a conversation that needs to be had because I don't think anyone should have to be less than themselves in order to work in an organization. So, yeah, I love that though. So yeah, going back to that, you know, reminding people that you can change that if you are sitting here listening and maybe you're starting to question based on what Natalie had just shared, even the questions like, is it the right universe or is it the right universe? Is it the right organization or company? You know, what could you, where could you go next? Like, I think, you know, the thing that I like to say is like, your parents didn't birth you for X. Like they, it's not like all of a sudden they had you and they're like, I hope they work for this random organization one day and that they do this role. Like you get to choose like, and that's all yours every single day. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you get to ask the questions just like anybody else does. So ask the questions, does this, does this serve me? Do I, what do I want to do with this information that was just gifted to me? Um, because it is a gift. You can look at it that way. And, and how do I want to move forward? You are in choice. And I think that's the thing that coaching has really helped with myself and other people that I work with is reminding them, we are all in choice. We get to choose how we react, we get to choose how we show up or not show up. We're always in choice, right? So I think the less victim or victimhood mentality we play, when it comes to feedback that is delivered, the more powerful we'll be. And it doesn't mean that you just get to go, well, screw it. I don't believe it, whatever. No, 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 no. Look at it and then see what you want to do from it there. Does it serve you? Can you grow from it? And if not, then put it down and keep going. 
I, you know, that's a great, I had a friend that went to the University of Santa Monica in California, had a school on, has a spiritual psychology program. And one of the things that they said is if you're getting feedback and you touched on it, if you're getting feedback from someone that you can see, A, doesn't necessarily care about you, doesn't, isn't doing this, then you should actually question whether or not you even take that on. Like if you don't respect that person, if they've been really rude to you, if they exhibit all that, like just because they have words that they're giving to you does not mean that you need to take this on. It also doesn't mean that you need to work there anymore. But you touched on something that I wish we could have actually spent more time on, which is the victimhood. Because if we're talking to the person that's receiving feedback, Mm -hmm. it is so important. We are always in choice. Like you can't live in a place that the world is happening to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are in, you know, we're all in some way, we're either active or passively involved in our lives, but the, the, that is the hardest piece. I think when you, when people are giving it is knowing that you might have to give feedback to someone that lives in a victim mentality, like any like words of wisdom that you would give maybe for a leader, if they had to address that with someone. Yeah, if, they, that mentality. If, the felt, if the leader felt like the person they were going to talk to plays or sits in the victim mentality a lot. Yeah. So there, you just have to do a little bit more digging. There, 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 a lot of people are unconscious to the victimhood mentality, and you can hear it. Right? It's like I can't. Uh, I don't. I don't believe in myself. I'm not enough. Like you can hear some of that self-deprecating talk. And so victims need to be reminded of their resiliency, and they need it to be you know just reminded of their power. So if I was a leader and I had someone doing that, I'd be really curious about where their victim mentality is coming from. Like keep asking questions. Like where was it a previous organization that taught that to them? Was it teenage years or childhood? Most likely. Um, and just keep digging and then remind them of, of their resiliency, of their power that they can get through this. Probably a little bit of empathy too. So they just need a little bit of a different approach. I'm not saying you have to coddle them, but I'm just saying a lot of curiosity and then reminding them of their resiliency, reminding them like, when was the last time that you fell down and you got back up and let them hear the story? Well, it was this time, this time. And I did the, okay. So you know how to get back up. Well, yeah, but no, but you know how to get back up. So how would you get back up after this, this time? Well, I don't, you'll start to, they just need a little bit of more rebuild. I think a lot of society is really good at making us believe we are the victims. And so this, this victimhood mentality is a bit epidemic. And I think, you know, as a leader, we need to start reminding people that they are not victims in their lives, that they have choice and they can get back up. That's it. Yeah. We all need to hear that message. I think every day and resiliency is a huge piece of feedback, maybe even starting a feedback conversation. If you know, what's going to be there just with, Hey, I'm going to share some feedback with you. And this is why I'm giving you the feedback because I believe in your success. I want you to, you know, thrive. I want you to achieve greater heights. I want you to X, Y, Z or aligning it with something that's important to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then describing why that situation be, I just love your simple because it's so simple. Your approach is very simplified, right? And it's, it doesn't include, the let's just throw in some positives. Let's just do this to check a box. Like people are waiting for it anyway. So why not get to the point and just have an honest conversation? And then, I mean, I would be surprised how, and you said it in the beginning that it's something where you have to practice it, right? You have to be like consistent at just knowing that you're going to maybe bomb at your first feedback round after this new approach. And that's okay. (laughs) It's okay to fail and try again. And I think a lot of the times we're like, okay, I need to get it right the first time. And then that's it. And it's not. 
Natalie, I have one final question to close out our podcast. And this is what we ask every single um, guest, which is what is your leadership habit for success? Or what do you do to help um, aid to your success as Mm -hmm. not only um, a speaker, a facilitator, a trainer, a leadership coach? I mean, you wear a lot of hats. What do you do to maintain your own success? Just continuous learning. I like to put myself more and more on the edge of being uncomfortable. Um, not all the time. Like I don't love being uncomfortable, but I know that's where growth happens for me. Um, so just continuing to learn about, about who I am, what stretches me, what makes me uncomfortable. And then just following what makes me also feel good. What makes me feel alive because that's what I've been kind of put here to do. So it's a lot of just continuous learning. I would recommend on things that interest me and things that also challenge me and stretch me. Gosh, I love it. So thinking everyone, if you want to take a page from Natalie's book, what can you learn today? Or how can you, you know, change the way that you're thinking or just see something in a different way? I love that. Well, Natalie, and I think also, oh, sorry, just one, one quick thing about um, SBI. So this uh, situation behavior impact, you can find more information on that. This is coming from the Center of Creative Leadership that helped kind of create that as well. And um you know, if you're looking for more curiosity, um, reach out. Coaches have a lot of uh, questions that you can tag on there. Yeah. And you're going to hear, they're going to hear how to connect with you too in the bumper. So stay tuned if you want to hear how to get in touch with Natalie. Thank you, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Leadership Habit. If you want to connect with Natalie, get to know, maybe hire for a workshop or hire as a coach, go to natalieDumond.com. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to share it with your friends, maybe share it with a colleague. And of course, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.